My name's Tess, I'm Head of Online Content Creation this year and I'm here with Nathan Higgins, our reigning champion. We're here to kind of discuss a bit about your success, how you got there, kind of what you're up to now and a bit more generally about science communication. For anybody listening, Let's Talk is a science communication organisation started by undergraduate students and we hold annual competition it's based around public speaking. So currently, what are you up to? Yeah, um, what keeps you busy these days? What keeps me busy? I'm adjusting to 2021, mm-hmm. life in, in almost total freedom, it's, mm-hmm. it's good fun, I'm enjoying that, and getting started back at uni, like everybody else. Uh, I just started my PhD over at Monash through the Turner Institute for Brain and Mental Health, I think. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, so figuring out what my project's gonna be, which is usually like a six month process and probably more free time than I've ever had in my life, wow. which is wow. you know, not complaining. That's a lesson for everybody. Start a PhD, you'll have start, more free time than yeah. you've ever had in your life. You've got to emphasize in the first year, in the first year, second, third, fourth year, do not know. You don't want angry emails yeah. from second year PhD students. Yeah, saying, like, you, stop, stop you lying. You set me down the wrong path. Have you got like a bit of an idea of what your topic might be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the topic was advertised as a project looking at the ethics of deep brain stimulation. Mm-hmm. So deep brain stimulation is a technology that was first FDA approved. FDA is the, the Federal Drug Association mm-hmm. in America who have to review all the drugs and devices that want to be put out into the market. So mm-hmm. it was FDA approved for uh, Parkinson's disease mm-hmm. in, I think it was the 70s or 80s. And so people with Parkinson's disease who usually might have taken uh, a dopamine agonist mm-hmm. um, now can have this device installed in their brain mm-hmm. that sort of it usually inhibits certain like regions of the brain mm-hmm. um, that allow them to then move more freely. So that the tremor that they usually have and the sort of a dyskinesia, I think it's called, where you can't really walk or move properly, that's pretty much ameliorated by deep brain stimulation. So right. it's really, really effective in, mm-hmm. in Parkinson's disease and essential tremor. Mm-hmm. But more recently, in the past two decades or so, deep brain stimulation has been thought of as a potential cure mm. for conditions like major depression and OCD mm-hmm. and even anorexia I think so mm-hmm. I think my project at this point will be looking at whether it's ethical to put a, a deep brain stimulation device in somebody's brain who is severely depressed and there are like there are problems with that because you've got to ask for one is a severely depressed person going to be able to consent, mm-hmm. you know? There's obviously some element of cognitive impairment that comes with severe depression. Yeah. Is that going to be getting in the way of being able to give conformed consent, right? And it's even possible that some of these people who come to a clinical trial, mm. uh, because it is in a clinical trial at this point, yeah. yeah. so you've got to ask whether these people are viewing this as like sort of like a last resort sort mm. of thing. Like, this is, yeah. this is my only hope yeah. of getting a cure. Yeah. And... Further than that, some might even not really care if yeah. they live or die, if yeah. their depression is severe yeah. enough, right? Yeah. And that attitude gets in the way of an appreciation of the risks. And there are significant risks yeah. that come with the surgery yeah. and then post-trial follow-up as well. Yeah. And there is some evidence that in sort of like 6 to 12 months following the surgery, mm-hmm. you can have personality change. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a real interesting question about whether we should be offering this device to people yeah. who are unable to appreciate the risks. Yeah. But I'm, I'm having a lot of fun just reading widely and yeah. getting familiar with 
the language. Yeah. Well, I think it, it sounds like such a broad topic as well because the idea of consent in medical trials as well, if you have, if you're looking at drugs that treat uh, terminal illnesses or that sort of thing, to what extent is there actually free will if this is mm-hmm. someone's last resort, would they choose otherwise? And is that what you focus on your undergrad as well? Are you from a neuroscience background? Sort of. So I like, I started off in undergrad with probably like 75% of undergrad students with the idea of trying to get into med. So first and second year I was doing, you know, anatomy, physiology, looking at when the GAM site was going to be held. Yeah, sort of, we've all been. Yeah, oh, we've all been. <laughs> Most of us have been there, yeah. Uh, and um, I, I did the GAM site once. can't remember what it was. I think I did a lot of reading mm. after sitting the GAM site. And I just realised, like, medicine wouldn't really be for me. I can't quite remember what the reasons were, but I've realised since then that I'm quite clumsy in, like, a practical <laughs> setting. I worked in a, a kitchen for a while, like a pizza shop. Mate, I was, I was terrible. Oh, my Not God. A good I think I'm much more suited to being, like, behind a computer or, like, yeah, or something like that. definitely. So medicine was, like, off the card. In third year, I kind of worked out with the sort of more philosophical aspects of how we, like, do science interested mm-hmm. me. So that led me towards wanting to do a major in psychology. But the thing is, you, you can't, I was too late to major in psychology. Mm. And you can't do an honours year yeah. in psychology unless you've majored in psychology. So yeah. I have a major in neuroscience, which I was mm. happy with, but I was like, how on earth do I jump over to a research career in psych? I mean, it's that's, the brain, yeah. right? It's all the brain. It's all the brain, yeah. Science, psychology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I, mm. So I got to the end of my third year degree and I thought, right, what? How am I going to try and make this this move over to the social sciences? And I saw that this project was being advertised through the uh, the Department of Physiology mm. over at the medical building. Yeah. And it was on uh, it was on metacognition and whether thinking about thinking, which is broadly what metacognition means. Yeah. Whether that can improve academic outcomes in undergraduate science students. Yes. And I was like. That looks social science mm. enough. I'm gonna do that. Yeah. So I reached out to the supervisor. We had a couple of really great conversations, yeah. and then I did honest with him. Wow. And it just so happened that it worked, mm. and mm. I was able to make the full transition over to the sort of psychological sciences yeah. just this year. Yeah. It's not really that uncommon for people to change majors mm. and kind of figure out what they want to do. In terms of like your PhD now, can you see yourself going into academia and research as well? Yeah, yeah. So that's ultimately where I want to try and end yeah. up. Probably like teaching's always been appealing to me, yeah. so teaching at a university level or even mm. um, tutoring yeah. would be something that I could then totally, totally get around. Yeah. yeah but I, I realised that to sort of do that in academia, you need to find a topic that you're interested in. So definitely. I think a lot of my undergrad, I was just waiting for like that thing that yeah. attracted me, that I could sort of study effortlessly and mm. go, and never sort of find myself asking, like, why am I learning this thing? Yeah. Sort of just, like, intrinsically interesting. Definitely. And that's only been, you know, the last year or so that yeah. I've been able to get there. Yeah. Wow. So we've had a surprise visitor. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> a bonus guest. A new challenger. A, a, the <laughs> a new challenger. Well, literally, because we have our runner-up from the 2020 Let's oh Talk. Yeah. The final. <laughs> this is the first time you guys have been in the same room. It is, yeah. Wow. I feel the tension. I feel the tension. This is Amy, our head of marketing, our runner-up from uh, the 2020 Let's Talk final. Introduce yourself, Amy. What are you up to? I'm Amy. I'm doing my Bachelor of Biomedicine honours at St. Vincent's Hospital. Mm-hmm. Just working with a lot of cartilage cells. Is it, is it human cartilage? Yeah, it is. Oh. Derived from stem cells, yeah. taken from the fat pad in behind your patella. Oh. Yeah, so I have to wait for people to have total knee replacements, so then yeah. I can sneak in and be like, can I have your fat pad? Oh. <laughs> oh. 
And when you say like I'm waiting for people to have knee replacements, like you just see someone that looks a bit old we, and frail on the yeah. street. Yeah. You're like, like you, my, oh, those are some it, messed up knees. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, like you need a new knee. Might I suggest this surgeon at this hospital? <laughs> I was gonna ask everybody what your favorite science fun fact is. Hippo's milk is pink. Oh my god. Mm. Now don't ask me why. <laughs> oh, Nathan, what was your science fact? Uh, I don't know if it's favourite, but I, I heard a fact yesterday while I was at uni that when they used to implant cardiac pacemakers into people, mm -hmm. right, which sort of regulate your heart rate, mm -hmm. they used to be radioactive. Mm -hmm. And because there were pretty strict restrictions with disposal of radioactive waste, mm -hmm. when somebody with a cardiac pacemaker died, they couldn't just bury them. They had to either like extract the pacemaker from them mm -hmm. and like throw that. Or, I don't know, just like chuck the whole body in with like all the, oh my God. the radioactive waste. Maybe just as a fun fact for the people with pacemakers, be like, hey, did you know that I'm radioactive? What if they got cool powers? You know, the radioactive oh, spy? Yeah. <laughs> a cohort of old people who all can fly. Oh, yeah. That would be great. It'd be a great TV show. Excellent, but all Marvel. Yeah. You're so welcome. I feel like that would be quite cool. Well, the easy way to do this is just say, oh, it's radioactive. Yeah. And then just like, you're a different thing. Yeah. They would be probably really turned off. It's like how they have MRIs that actually technically end MRI because it's a nuclear oh. magnetic resonance, but they don't put the N in because of the nuclear part, wow. and it scares the general public. Oh. And they'll be like, oh, I don't want to have that because I don't want to... Because it's nuclear. Yeah, wow. but it's like, it's literally safer than an x-ray. They had to chop it off just for yeah. the sake of the people. How do you rebrand an MRI? to make people feel safe. Well, I, I watched Chernobyl last year yeah. and that you sort of came away going, right, like yeah. nuclear power is a big like, problem. Yeah. But it's actually surprisingly safe. Like, mm. that, that was like the only big disaster of its kind yeah. like of that scale. Yeah. So recently there's been a big push to get nuclear power back as a power source yeah. because it's just yeah. it's sort of renewable and it obviously doesn't like burn yeah. like carbon and yeah. stuff. So. But you just have to think that's going to take so much rebranding, like yeah, nuclear, yeah. and because so many people have lived through and watched like Chernobyl mm -hmm. and still feel the effects of even Fukushima as well yeah. in Japan yes. and like in Hiroshima as well with nuclear bombs. The like that's war. all, yeah. yeah, it's all associated with it as well. So mm -hmm. I guess we do need clean energy, and really, yeah. like coal's definitely on the way out. The fresh food people are coming. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's very interesting, kind of yes. seeing where that goes as well. You can kind of see where science communication will be needed. Totally. That. Totally. That's a big task for whoever will mm -hmm. try to tackle totally. the PR of totally. the entire world of radio. Yeah. But yeah, smaller in the second world. Let's talk. Let's talk about let's talk. Right. Um, you know, let's take a trip down memory lane. I found the hardest part, and I'm a chronic procrastinator, so I like left at the last minute, was like scrambling for like a fun science thing. Yeah. And it was just so hard to find mm -hmm. something that I wanted to talk about, that I found engaging. Was, was interesting for people to hear about. Mm. So how did both of you come across your idea and know that that was what you wanted to talk about? Well, for me, it was sort of in the rare position of having an honest project that at one point wasn't giving me enough work to do. Yeah. So because of COVID, like yeah. most of the experiments from that year were just completely disrupted. Yeah. And I was waiting for this set of data to come through that came wow. through around August. Yeah. So once I'd had like all my sort of preliminary data analysis done, had a couple of months where I wasn't doing a whole lot. I was yeah. writing my lib review. Mm. But like I had a lot of free time as well. So I was like, okay, I want to do this competition and I need to find a topic that I'm interested in. And I remembered back from undergrad that I'd had a lecture from an academic called Garen Dodd about the, the mechanism of obesity. And that was really interesting to me. Mm. It wasn't too complicated, actually. I was like, you know what, that would be a good thing to make a talk about. Yeah. And I know that at least the less talk, it's got to have background aspect and then sort of a, an area where 
some sort of science innovation is going to change something yeah. about. Yeah. And I thought this was perfect because in his lecture he introduces this drug. I just thought the whole like drug fixing this problem yeah. was like fit perfectly into that model of having background and then sort of impact, yeah. Definitely, um, definitely. I guess you talk about the butterfly effect. The, the bat virus in China led to you being the winner of Let's Talk 2020. Oh, <laughs> some, um, some weird way, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. wow. the bat. I want to see an interview with Oprah and the bat. But oh, <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. That would be yeah. like Harry and Meghan. The, the tell-all yeah. interview. Yeah. Oh, that like distorted's voice. Like, yeah. <laughs> did you buy it? It's got a mosaic. Oh my god. Face, they blocked out the face. <laughs> and Amy, how did you come across your idea? Tardigrades are adorable. They are so cute. Yes. I like, I fangirled over them since I was like year eight, in year eight. And then I was like, oh. There's this let's talk thing, and I think I wanted to do it last year, but I must have just missed the mm. due date and just forgot about it. Yeah. And so it came around again, and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And then I was like, um, fun science fact, tardigrades are cool. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I have no idea what relevance it has to the the bigger world. Mm. And so I immediately just went to Google and was like, <laughs> tardigrades. <laughs> 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 A whole heap of articles talking about how the study of them could then lead to us trying to work out mm. how we can become immune to the radioactive effects of like space travel. Yeah. And from there, I kind of like took that idea and then I was like, okay, so where else are we experiencing radioactivity? And I was mm. like, in radiotherapy. Mm. So then I went on with that and just followed through. It was a, definitely a much more abstract mm -hmm. sort of idea to mm -hmm. get something that's just like, we're researching this weird animal that we found yeah. to like, hey, maybe it'll help cancer. But it was fun. That's fantastic. And such different ways of finding our topics as well. For like sure. you, you heard it from yeah. like a lecturer. And Amy, you started with this passion about tardigrades <laughs> and then kind of took it towards a topic of what that could be. So I think that's quite interesting. Two different worlds. Yeah, yeah. two different worlds. And I guess as an extension, you found your topic, you found your mm -hmm. ideas. I thought you were going to have to give it in person and then it ended up being totally video online. Did either of you feel like that was a bit of a letdown, like you wanted to speak in front of a room full of people or was there a bit of like creative freedom that you kind of got to explore with the video side of things? I think I was looking forward to speaking in person. But then again, when I found out that it was just all going to be of a video, mm. I wasn't too disappointed because yeah. it was still like there were a lot of things that were preserved between doing and making a presentation from home yeah. and presenting in front of an audience. So a little bit disappointed, but it wasn't yeah, same. I think Nathan did like an amazing job with the video. It really? felt yeah, it felt yeah. like a proper YouTube video that I would have. The watched. edits and the jump cuts. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, damn, yeah. this guy is straight from Vsauce. Like, <laughs> yeah. Didn't Alan Duffy say that you're here? He, he said right. it was like Veritasium. Yes. Another, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I'm honestly, like, I wish you would could have seen my room at that stage because I've got like zero. Film. I've got my lap, this laptop. Yeah. Which is the worst camera in the world, oh. and then my phone, which is a little better. That's what, I mean, if we're starting with the compliments, your animations were insane. So oh, cute. Your so animations cute. were That's nuts. the only thing I could do. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh. Yeah. I think I remember you, you went first, or your video was shown. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so I, I saw your animations like, oh my god, I did, I did all mine on like PowerPoint. This is nuts. Well, I think I would have preferred it if it was in person. Mm. Just because that's what I'm. That's the only experience yeah. I have. Yeah. I've never had yeah. to make a video or talk into a camera. I mean, I practice when I do my yeah. video. Like, 
pretend that I'm doing a yeah. makeup guru. You do like the, the hand in, behind the brush? Hi, today this is the be... Mac M45. <laughs> <laughs> so it was quite challenging. Yeah, I think I would have hated that if I had had to do it in front of the camera because I am more comfortable speaking in front of people because I can make eye contact and I can yes. like, use yeah. hand gestures and I can read the room and see if people are like gauged. But obviously if you're watching a video, you just have no idea how people are consuming that content because yeah. you look at the rise of TikTok in science yes. and like, yeah. you know, YouTube as well, of course, has been like a hallmark for science communication. So I think it was probably a good thing that came out of it. Yeah. And I was also really grateful that they yeah. actually got editors to edit up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was, I had like so many details about like where I wanted the cuts to be. Mm. And they got them like all right. Wow. Which is insane. Yeah, editing quality was, yeah, it was nice. It was, it was really good. I didn't give them anything. I was yeah. kind of like, just do what you do. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I was so glad that I didn't have to edit myself because I think it yeah. would have just oh. taken, I don't even know how. Yeah. <laughs> like, it would not look yeah. the way it does. Mm. So if we were to do it again. Yeah. Those editors need to come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about your, your topic, Nathan, which was sure. on obesity and a potential cure or treatment, I guess, for yeah. very complex disease. If you want to just give a summary of what you were talking about, mm-hmm. as I had a few questions about what sort of science communication in obesity science looks like specifically, mm-hmm. was there a worry at all that you might be presenting a silver bullet for a problem that doesn't really have any mm-hmm. silver bullet? How did you kind of mitigate that? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so I've got to start by saying that I'm not an expert in like obesity yeah. or physiology yeah. even. Yeah. So from what I know, my project was based on a model of obesity. There's sort of like a baseline level in people who, mm-hmm. when you try and lose weight, mm-hmm. you're, there's some sort of physiological mechanism that's taking you back towards your baseline level of body weight that you started, right? Mm-hmm. So I started by like presenting this idea of energy balance of being the, the difference between how much you take in and how much you burn off and the example that's often given is like contestants on The Biggest Loser they go in for a couple of weeks and they lose loads and loads of weight but then when you look at follow-up studies almost all of the the contestants have put back on the weight that they lost if not more weight than they started with so that to, to many people is evidence that okay there is this sort of baseline level mm-hmm. that people have their body weight built around right? yeah and this drug that was that i was talking about was basically a way of kind of cutting through that mm. so if i can remember correctly it was a drug that was used to um, restore insulin sensitivity mm-hmm. to a certain subset of neurons in the brain that regulate energy balance so i guess to answer your question as far as it being a silver bullet i'm not sure, mm. I'm not sure. i know that drug is either in clinical trials mm-hmm. or is about to be put into clinical trials yeah there's a lot happening in this this area so yeah. watch out yeah i think that's a very interesting sort of topic in that sort of sense mm. and similar to i guess communicating about cancer treatments as well because yeah. I think in the general public everyone it's like one in two Australians have been affected by cancer so they either yeah. have had it or they know someone that's been close to them that mm. has had it and it's often really difficult to talk about cancer treatment because you don't want to give people false hope as well and like ovarian cancer is treated in a markedly different way to like lung cancer different causes and I guess it's similar with obesity mm. you look at like genetics but also like yeah. hormones too lifestyle as well so they're very complex diseases that I think people think that they might know more about it than they actually do so yeah i think that there's like a massive problem with science communication in terms of how to tackle these diseases in general even with lung cancer as well Mm -hmm. like if you've smoked apparently brought it on and it's so much more complex than that the treatments as well i think it's often really difficult to communicate what treatment does look like and what hope there is as well but i think you did a really great job of communicating the importance of obesity too Mm -hmm. when you looked at the economical side of things i think that's kind of what you started with like it was like eight eight billion dollars yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like looking at it from different angles too which i thought was really effective because people always argue about like 
oh, why are we wasting time researching this obscure thing? Why don't you go and find the cure for cancer? Yeah. Like, like, that's literally, yeah. like, yeah. that is such a heavy topic to unpack. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. Cure for cancer, what? Yeah. And I think, like, an important implication of the topic that I was looking at mm. is that there's, there's this view that if you see an overweight person on the yeah. street, that it's, like, entirely a consequence of their failure of will of to course. go out and yeah. exercise. Yeah. But I guess what, what this study or what these, this work is showing is that it's much more complicated than that. There's like a physiological mechanism that is like making it difficult for them to lose weight. So once you acknowledge that, you're on the way to breaking down like this stigma that drives you to view these people as not working hard enough. Yeah. And I think that's that's like a really important implication of this work. Even with diabetes as well, the two different yeah. types. So there's diabetes type one, which you mm. get as when you're born, but diabetes yeah. type two, I think sometimes you can be born with it. A lot of the times it like appears later in life and yes. is attributed to some sort of lifestyle type sort of thing. But it's yeah. like a lot of sympathy is granted to people that suffer from diabetes type one because they're born with it. But diabetes type two is mm. kind of obviously a much bigger issue and affects a lot more people, yeah. but it isn't seen with the same sort of sympathy. And people just yeah. think of it like you brought it upon yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your lifestyle. Yeah. 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 Like, there's so many factors that can mm. cause the pathway this person has yeah. Yeah. Um, to end up with this disease. Yeah. Just be mm. compassionate. But yeah, it almost doesn't make sense to me why compassion should be grounded in the cause that got yeah. somebody to that exactly. position, right? That's like, so diabetes true. is diabetes. Mm. It sucks. Yeah. Mm. Why add even more unnecessary, yeah. like, judgment and stuff? It's yeah. like, they're already having a harsh life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. effects of obesity mm. yeah. adding on so much of a push yeah. in the direction to be as thin as possible yeah. the pressure on people yeah, definitely not getting easier no yeah, yeah to be comfortable and yeah. so much is tied in with like uh, socioeconomic status as well like yeah. there's a reason why rich people you know have personal trainers and like chefs mm-hmm. and that sort of thing yeah. I can eat fresh food and that sort of yeah. stuff so there's so much tied into that too but yeah I also kind of just wanted to round out this kind of discussion I guess we've covered a lot but I want to talk about science communication as a bit of a meta sort of discussion so what makes bad science communication what is like a video you watched or a podcast you heard or like a person that you've seen talk can you pinpoint why you weren't interested or why you were disengaged i know for me personally even with my own tardigrade thing when i look back on it myself i was like i i really wanted to just educate as much as i could mm. but it's also like at the same time you're not a teacher you're kind of like mm. trying to present this idea but also engage them enough mm. they're not here for a a class mm. so I think I went really deep into the the really small science of talking mm. like about the genetics and talking about how they replace a certain part of the vector and stuff it's like mm. give a more general base on that um instead of diving deep and if they're interested then they will come and ask you questions later if you go to too deep <laughs> into mm. the science part instead of like mm. the communication part yeah you end up yeah. really losing interest or just losing the audience in general yeah. Yeah. yeah so i find that is you have to kind of find that happy medium of mm. course because there's a danger that you go too shallow and then you miss a really crucial part yeah as well like i found that in like summarizing science articles and tweets and stuff you mm. can't really summarize the detail that you need to as well yeah. so it can be hard to kind of pitch it to the right level nathan did you find that as well in terms of what detail to include and what to kind of skip out on yeah, that was easily the most challenging part yeah. of constructing my talk because there was so much more that I wanted to talk about. Exactly. But you've just got to realise like how much are these people going to be able to grasp in this yeah. five minutes? Because yeah. you're sort of like taking them on this journey of like increasing complexity. 
Mm. And you don't want to do that too slowly or they're going to be disengaged and they don't feel like they're learning anything. And you don't want to make that jump too quickly either because they're going to be confused and so now. So you've got got to work out how quickly to make that transition Mm. and like what, how complex do you want like the end point to be? So that was probably the thing that kept me going. Mm. Um, And so I think just to answer your question about when... Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, I mean, so to me, it's just like when an educator fails to make that transition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's increasingly frustrating when they don't seem like they're trying. Yeah. And I think there's this thing called... uh, um, like the, the burden of knowledge fallacy or something yeah. where you assume yeah you assume that your audience knows as much about the topic as you do and so succumbing to that irritates me a lot when you mm. sort of don't view it as sort of like a journey of like understanding with your audience is yeah it's a problem I think yeah um, wow you yeah. kind of unfortunately see it a lot in it's almost always like like research academics who are yeah. doing yeah. or fulfilling like teaching obligations yes. on side. So yeah. they'll just come in, they'll have like these slides, they'll read off the slides, not yeah. really bother to engage yeah. the audience and then yeah. leave. Those lecturers really annoy me. Probably yeah. more so than like a lecturer who is like a teaching, teaching yeah. by trade, but maybe nice. just doesn't have well yeah. constructed slides yeah. over the time. Yeah. That doesn't irritate me as much as the sort of the person who comes in and just reads the slides and leaves. Yeah. And it hurts yeah. more because they are the experts in the yeah. field. Like, yeah, yeah. You're stalking about the internet, yeah. you see all the stuff they've done, mm. yeah. and you're like, yeah. you literally know this know, better yeah, than anyone else, why yeah. can you not teach me? Yeah, yeah. it's mm. frustrating. Bridging that kind of divide, I think it must be so hard as well if you've studied this for 10 years, 10 plus years, mm. and you know it in such detail, taking it back down to that yeah. level and be like, what does an undergrade actually know? Is that exactly. nothing? That's they don't know. We don't have any <laughs> student knowledge, we forgot yeah. it in the holidays. So it can be really difficult for people to jump on. I guess when you're talking about gearing up and getting more complex as your five minute goes on, Nathan, mm. I think that's a great way to think about it. I just think of like a treadmill that's like going up. Like you want to mm. have people with you and you want to keep yeah. them with you as well. Like yeah. you want to make sure like radiant is at a nice level. Like you don't want to start high, mm-hmm. but you don't want to, even if you start low, make it too steep a climb mm-hmm. for people to get lost along the way. Yeah. Which I think that often in university lectures are just kind of like hits above my head mm-hmm. and I can never actually like get up to it if yeah. we're using yeah. this metaphor. But yeah, so that's a really interesting kind of idea to think about as well. Yeah. And like, unfortunately it gets people to lose morale because yeah. they're like, mm. oh, now I'm just too dumb to understand this yeah. and I'm just yeah. gonna zone. Why would I keep taking notes? I don't know what's happening. I'll just be writing for the sake of it, I'll understand it later, I won't. (laughs) I mean, there are ways to get around that as well, at least in academia. If you are lecturing, um, something like Poll Everywhere is a really Mm. great way to work out where your audience's understanding is. Exactly. Um, So like, the more Poll Everywhere is, the better I reckon. Definitely. I think another important thing in bad science communications or lectures in general is just no pictures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every visual person. Yeah. But even if it's just like, just to spice it up a bit and it'll get the eyes lit up again. Yeah. Instead of just a dull like text, yeah. which yeah. is always yeah. important, so don't forget them. Yeah. Um, nothing's worse than having your entire speech in dot points on mm. the PowerPoint. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the white background. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Honestly. You're just reading yeah. it out. A- a- aerial font. Yeah. <laughs> 
And even if they are diagrams, but like they're just the text box to just yeah. be like, this is RNA polymerase. Like, yeah. I want to see like the, the funky little shape, you know, mm-hmm. I want to see it like really? latch onto the <laughs> DNA yeah, yeah, yeah. and like, you know, unzip the DNA. You know, I love that sort of stuff because it feels a bit more visceral. It feels like there's actually something happening here rather than I'm just memorizing a chain in dot points in yeah. the process as well. What a great time to plug Sci Art Saturday. Amy, do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, so every week we're holding on. Every Saturday, we post a signed artwork that someone submits or someone in the committee submits just to show the world of science art. It takes any medium, so it can be like photography, painting, Jack Gowhead, and let's talk just like PowerPoint art. Oh my god. Which is really dope. Yeah, I really want to watch him do one one day because I don't exactly know what that entails, but he has that as well. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to celebrate science art because let's talk so far has been science communication, but very much in the verbal form yeah. or even the written form of the blog, but mm-hmm. never really in terms of like art. Mm-hmm. Art, art, mm-hmm. art. So we want to explore that. It's mm-hmm. on the Instagram, and mm-hmm. I think that's the main place we. Posted. Good medium for it. The grid. Yep. yep. The grid. Mm, gonna work on the grid. You know how it is. Head of marketing. Nathan, are you an artist at heart? Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Uh, like, I made a plan to get into it during COVID, but I just didn't have it. There's only so, so many hobbies you can take yeah. up. Yeah. Actually, in saying that, the garage band. Yeah, oh, hey. like that's a great way to sort of lose 30 minutes. It oh. just puts you straight into it. Hint here, yeah. I think yeah. we want to do a science song competition. Definitely. Oh, I'm signing up for that. Mm. Oh, is it undergrads though? Hey, no, you know no. what? We'll make an exception just for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> undergrads like <laughs> PhD. <laughs> Undergrads, or if you've yeah. won, let's talk about yeah. like master. Or if your name is Nathan Higgins. Yeah, science songs mm-hmm. would be really dope. Yeah. Um, there's a psychom. Catriona. Yeah, of course. New and Robinson, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Mm. With your little ukulele? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the most iconic songs, like, there was a photosynthesis song that I used to listen Mm. to. Mm. There was a citric acid rap as yes. well. Yeah, yes. I remember that. Terry yeah. Mulholland. Yeah, I love Terry. Oh my god. Can yeah. I? Yeah, shout out to Terry Mulholland because I got a fanboy moment. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, the Facebook group, go join the Terry Mulholland. He's so great. Fan There's club. a yeah. fan. Yeah. <laughs> His wife is a member of it as well. Yeah. It's really cute. Is he a member of it? I, I think he's, he knows of it. He knows of it. Yeah. He's taken photos to be like in it. But, um, His wife's yeah. name is Janine because mm-hmm. he would always be like, ah, Janine. Ah, Janine. So much. Oh my god. Do we know if he's still doing the amino acid dance? Oh, that's a question. Oh, that's it. oh my gosh. But yeah. in live, like live. Yeah. Was, I think know. they oh, yeah. I still get a notification on my Snapchat memories every mm-hmm. year when it's like the day and it's just him dancing around a circle as tryptophan. With a torch in his mouth. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's tryptophan he just puts on sunnies. I know. Something about UV. Oh. <laughs> the way you remember it. It's fantastic. It shows that he's like the greatest science communicator. The greatest science communicator alive, honestly. Everyone him. Yeah, I got an extra 5% on uh, that subject because I did a dance. We danced out the ATPase um, like, process. It was to um, push it and we did a big can-can thing and I was one of the molecules in, in <laughs> triphosphate. I was one of the phosphates. So yeah. Extra five percent. Extra five percent. Awarded by Terry himself. It, well, yeah, it was part of the it was part of the course. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. And it saved my grade. Yeah. <laughs> like not to give too much away, but that was it was yeah. skin of the teeth. It's skin of the teeth. Amazing. It went from like forty five to like fifty. But I will not be exposing myself on this podcast. But I think I've covered everything that I kind of wanted to. But yeah, thanks so much for coming in, Nathan. No worries. Thanks Make, for having me. Making the trek from Clayton. Yeah. Really appreciate it. No worries. But yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us. That's that's a wrap, folks.
we go. Trash talk. Trash talk. We're taking out the trash. <laughs> trash day is Tuesday. <laughs>